You are about to embark on a journey. A journey where your worst fears become reality. A journey where hell is not below us, but amongst us. Don't be afraid, relax, and take a seat while I open the box of horrors. Good afternoon, horror story junkies, and welcome back to Box of Horrors. My name is Israel Johnson, and I'm your host. Today marks the 25th episode of the show, and since it's the 25th episode, we're going to do two short stories today. They're both very short, but I decided to do two today. They're both going to be by the same author that I read from last week, Darcy Oates, from her uh, short story collection. So the first story is going to be titled Sixth Floor. Second one is Death Follows. The uh, first story, Sixth Floor, is a uh, short story about a man who wants to protect his girlfriend by confronting the jerk who's been scaring her at night, but he's the one who gets the scare. Second story, Death Follows, is going to be about a medium that gets a visit from death himself, and he ends up making a fatal decision to try to save himself. Both sound very interesting, so enough with my talking and let's jump right in. See you guys at the end. I should have come earlier in the day. Jack took his hands out of his leather jacket pockets and rubbed them together. The towering abandoned apartment building was shrouded in shadows at the late hour and it was impossible to see through the windows on the sixth floor. He turned to look at the building across the street, Hutchison and proud attorneys at law. The noble name bellied a fundamentally seedy business that barely scraped by in the slummy downtown suburb. But his girlfriend, Cammie, worked there as a secretary. Jack was turned back to the abandoned apartments. The front door was boarded over. He knew there would be other ways to get in, broken windows and ledges and doors without locks. But the thin plywood was rotting from age and had fractured with a solid kick. It felt good to break something. Cammie had been upset for weeks about what she saw through the sixth floor windows, and her constant crying had built a tension in Jack that could only be solved through violence. Inside, the foyer was full of dust and long abandoned cobwebs. A scrabbling sound came through one of the gaping black doorways. A rat, probably. Jack rubbed the back of his hand across his nose and glowered at the dark area. The building had been vacant for more than 10 years. It was in such bad disrepair that Cammy claimed it would be cheaper to knock it down and build a new building than to renovate it. But the downtown suburb already had too much housing for its dwindling population. Whoever owned the apartments must have given them up as a lost cause. Broken glass, tiles, and dusty plaster coated the staircase and scraped under Jack's shoes as he climbed. 
His footsteps rang through the space, echoing eerily back at him from a dozen directions and blending in with his labored breathing. He'd been unemployed too long, he decided. The flab from too many beers and days spent in front of the television was setting in, and his heart had to work harder to lift him up the stairwell. He repeated Cammy's words under his breath as he counted the floors. In the window opposite my office, that would mean the sixth floor near the building's corner. He just stands there and stares at me all day. He won't after this. Jack squeezed his fingers into fists. He would teach the creep a lesson. It didn't matter if it was a drugged out hobo, a runaway teen, or just a run-of-the-mill pervert. If they didn't swear to stay away from the window, he would tip them over the sill and let them smack into the concrete sidewalk. The police wouldn't care. Deaths were common in the area, and unless they were blatant murders or easy to solve, they were mostly swept under the rug. The stairwell opened onto the sixth floor, and Jack paused to catch his breath. The empty hallway stretched ahead of him, sad and decaying. Half the rooms were missing doors, and wan dying sunlight came through them. The whole area smelt of urine, rot, and sickening organic decay. He sniffed, rubbed at his nose again, then set out down the hallway, counting the rooms as he passed them. It'll be one of the windows furthest along, second or third from the corner room probably. That would look directly out of Cammy's window. He peered into each room. A couple still held furniture. Though they were so badly damaged that they would be worthless, rat droppings were thick on the ground. One room showed signs of being lived in within the last few years, but dust clung to the mattress, suggesting the owner had moved on some time ago. At last, at the hallway's second last room, Jack found he was no longer alone. A figure, tall and thin, was silhouetted against the light. Standing at the window, he stared out at the street below. Jack's heart raced, but he drew in a breath to spread his chest. He placed a hand on each side of the doorway, blocking the stranger's escape, and bellowed, Oi! The figure didn't reply and didn't move. Something about it struck Jack as unnatural. No human could keep that still. It wasn't even breathing. He held his pose in the doorway for a moment, watching it, then cautiously stepped into the room. As soon as he got the light out from behind the figure, it became clear. The shock and relief caused a laughing fit, and Jack doubled over as he hacked in breaths and drew a shaking hand through his hair. It was just a mannequin. Jack moved up to it and poked the cold porcelain skin of its chuckles, gradually subsided. Geez, buddy, you've been terrorizing my girl for weeks. He pulled his mobile out, took a photo of the figure, and sent it to Cammy, with the caption, found the creep opposite your window. He's a real dummy. 
It was a good pun, Jack thought as he turned towards the window and stared at Cammie's workplace. He could barely see the little cactus she kept at her window. She'd been right. The figure was almost perfectly opposite. He wondered idly if someone had left the mannequin as a prank or if it had just been abandoned like the other furniture. His phone buzzed with a reply message. What the hell? Did you actually go there? Quickly followed by, you promised you wouldn't. It's not safe. The phone buzzed a third time, and that's not the window guy. He doesn't just stand still. Sometimes he paces. Jack frowned at the final message, then drew a sharp breath as a hand landed on his shoulder. Death follows. Death's exhale was a protracted, scraping rattle. It conjured memories of dead leaves skittering over dirt, fingernails drawing across gravestones or an elderly man's final rasp. It wasn't unfamiliar to John. He was at the head of his driveway and it took a moment of searching to spot the black shadow nestled in the corner of his neighbor's house where the vines grew thick and the slanted roof blocked out most of the waning light. The specter looked near identical to a shadow save for its movements and the flash of light reflecting off its eyes. It was taller than a human, but its back and shoulders were stooped. Its unnaturally long fingers twitched at its side as it stared at John. He turned, put his hands into his pockets, and began walking to town. His job as a spirit medium had introduced him to the specter. Curiosity in life after death of spirits and lost souls had increased dramatically at the turn of the century, and John's unique talents had allowed him to charge a rich sum for contacting the husbands, sons, and daughters of grieving women. The spirits would answer his call and communicate messages through taps, chills, and whispers. John had been a spirit medium for close to a year when he first saw death. During his work, he'd given a great deal of thought to the souls and where they went after their mortal bodies perished, but none to the entity that reaped them. Then one evening, he'd glimpsed the shadow in the back of an elderly widow's parlor. Its lamp-like eyes were fixated on her bowed head and a sense of unease had prickled at John's skin and made his saliva bitter. He'd left early. The following morning, he received word that the widow had passed in her sleep. Since then, he'd seen death lingering around men and women who were near the end of their time on earth. The creature was infallible, and this time it had come for John. He picked up his pace and heard the scrape of long, steady footsteps behind him. Death had seemingly endless patience, he learned. The intended victims would live hours or even days after the specter began trailing them. That gives me time, he thought. 
though he didn't know what he intended to use that time for. His first thought was to settle his affairs, but he had no wife and no children to settle on. There was no one he cared about to say goodbye to. As a spirit medium, he traveled through town so quickly that he never became attached to the inhabitants. At the end of his lane, the road split. Left went towards town, right led into the countryside. John paused, considering his options. He didn't dare turn around, but he could hear the specter coming closer, moving to stand in his shadow, to breathe its fatigued, icy breath across the back of his neck. He turned right. If he was going to die, he would do it in a discreet place where his body wouldn't cause too much distress. The forest, perhaps, or he could sit on the bridge over the river and hope to kneel into the water and be swept away. John was faintly surprised by his serenity in the face of his own death. He'd seen so much of it in the previous year of his life, had called up so many spirits that mortality no longer held any horror for him, at least not the kind of horror normal people tasted. He was inevitably asked the same questions at each seance. Does it hurt? Are you happy? The replies were always comforting, but a theory had grown in John over his year of conducting seances. If I were trapped in a realm of constant suffering, would I reveal that to my grieving wife when there is nothing she can do? Or would I lie, knowing that at least one of us would be happier for it? John wiped the back of his hand over his lips. The fingers were shaking. Death no longer followed at a safe distance, but stayed near enough to touch. Those sickening rattles, echoing in John's ear with every exhale. He was tempted to bargain, but he already knew the creature was beyond reason. It wasn't the intelligent, skid-carrying skeleton often portrayed in stories. Death was impassionate, uncaring, animalistic in its thoughts and intentions. No silver tongue could persuade the being away from its course. The river wasn't far ahead. John had been hoping to sit on the edge of the railing while he waited. But to his frustration, he saw a man already stood there, leaning on the wood and watching the water below. Lo, the stranger called as John neared. He didn't see the extra shadow trailing John. No one ever saw it. John gave a curt nod, intending to cross the bridge and find a quieter place to die. But the stranger turned towards him, a lopsided grin growing over his face. You're the medium, aren't you? My aunt had you for a seance last week. Ah, John hated to stop when the specter was so close in his wake. But a strange thought occurred to him. He stopped next to the man, close to the edge of the river, and gave him a quick look over. He was young, no more than 25, and had dressed casually, probably planning to spend the next day outdoors. Do you have much interest in the next life? The man laughed and clapped John on the shoulder. I intend no offense, understand, but I firmly believe your kind are charlatans, the lot of you. John's smile was tighter 
than he would have liked. He looked behind him. Death stood close, its bony unnaturally long fingers raised to caress John's shoulder. The world seemed to lose color when he looked at the specter. For a moment, all he could see was the flash of light playing over its sightless eyes. It's impulsive, animalistic, I wonder. He reached into his pocket. His companion had returned to gazing over the edge of the bridge, teeth sparkling in the dull sunlight. I'm sure your antics are good for an evening's entertainment, but I don't believe for a second you do anything more than comfort the grieving. You'll believe soon enough. John flipped the knife out effortlessly and drew it across the man's throat. A gush of red poured from the cut and the man's smile finally disappeared into a horrified shriek. John pressed his hand over the man's mouth, silencing him as they watched his lifeblood drain into the river below. He spoke quickly, desperately, I won't ask you for forgiveness, but death expects a victim. Please stand in my stead. There was so much red, so much more than John had anticipated. His companion's eyes rolled back into his head, and the grabbing hands stilled and fell. John let the man slump over the bridge railing. Death no longer watched him, but the creature's mouth opened a fraction to reveal the flash of discolored teeth. It draped itself across the dying man and ate. John watched for a moment, sweat pouring down his face and his limbs, so unsteady that he was afraid he might collapse. Then he threw the knife into the river, skirted around the feeding shadow, and ran. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the 25th episode of Box of Horrors. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. I enjoyed those stories. I believe the, uh, yes, the second one, Death Follows, was my favorite. It's a very good story. I'll see you guys next week on another episode of Box of Horrors. Take care. (laughs) 